To The Point, the negotiation podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings. Hello and welcome back to To The Point. And in this particular session, we're going to talk about one of those potentially life-changing events for many of us negotiating a raise. Now, of course, many of us are very nervous, very hesitant, but often, of course, feeling a level of potential frustration that we haven't had the increase we think we deserve. There can be so much emotion when it comes to this particular topic. And I'm joined, of course, again by Kel Jensen for us to talk about 10 tips for negotiating a raise. Thank you, Tim. Yes, um, we picked the topic today because a lot of studies internationally show that the one topic, the one negotiation topic that most people actually dislike is negotiating a race. Uh, So it seems to be a topic where a lot of people feel uncomfortable. They feel it's a confrontation. They uh, just dislike that meeting with the counterpart. So um, we've been thinking about what are the 10 things that you should think about? And just before we dive into what we should think about, let me just um, address three things I would should, yeah, I would I would propose we shouldn't think about. And when I'm looking at negotiation experts around the world coming up with lists and and what they would recommend that you focus on, quite often they are saying something like you should focus on the importance of the of the value proposition, articulating your unique value to the organization. You should uh, leverage the performing metrics and demonstrating tangible results and achievements. You should prepare a compelling business case, quantifying your impact on revenue, cost, or efficiency, and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on and on and on. And in my world, all of this is what I call argumentation, Tim. So that is basically just building up a kind of a defense where you're not really creating a value neither for you or the counterpart. You're basically just quite trying to argument you all, all your, your starting point and uh, and all your benefits and not really listening to to the counterpart so quite against what a lot of people in negotiation would recommend you to do out there i would actually not recommend you starting your negotiation with any of these items i just mentioned there instead we um tim and i we are sharing 10 things that we would recommend that you should definitely focus on when you are negotiating a race and uh, tim you uh, you got the first one well i think it is important, indeed essential, for there to be some level of a plan. So just like you would with, I suppose, a business-to-business negotiation, create an agenda for yourself. Uh, Think through the the variables that you potentially want to talk about. Make sure that you're clear about your expectations and uh, map it against the the time that you're going to require. Uh, And, of course, make sure that uh, you are clear about whether the counterparty actually has the authority to do something about what you're asking for. Unless, of course, you desperately want to try and run with an independent party. Now, one thing that we do know from the negotiation room is that uh, the degree of comfort or discomfort that people feel when they're negotiating a salary increase is quite variable. And, of course, we had uh, some tremendous research from uh, Harvard Business School about the discomfort that most women feel uh, when they're negotiating on behalf of themselves. Uh, And that is, of course, something we also 
need to really take into account as we create that agenda, isn't it? You know, our feelings of personal confidence, discomfort, and overcoming them, um, being in a position where we are putting forward our best self. Mm. I, you're absolutely right. And it's it's a very relevant point you pick up here, Tim, because what we learned in the, the negotiation room was exactly as you say, that women in general, and I'm generalizing, obviously, are often better negotiators than men when they're negotiating on behalf of somebody else. But the second they have to negotiate on behalf of themselves, like a salary increase or a raise, um, they're not performing as well as men. And uh, uh, I think this could be one of the very important areas, obviously, why we often see that women are paid a, a lower wage compared to men for the same job, because they feel discomfort by, by negotiating that. So I would even recommend to our female listeners to, to pay attention, because all these um, preparation tools and the 10 items we, we would recommend is something that will actually make you more comfortable uh, before you step into to, to your negotiation. Now, the last thing Tim just mentioned about mandate is actually kind of important. And I know there might be somebody out there who's sitting there thinking that's weird asking if the counterpart has the mandate. Obviously, you have the mandate yourself negotiating your own salary, but it's actually important to understand if the, if the executive, the manager you're talking to have the mandate, because if he or she doesn't have that mandate, you're basically thrown into a negotiation round number two. So um, just like any business negotiation, you should secure that the individual you're talking to got the mandate. Absolutely. The second items um, that we would recommend is actually preparing what I call the STT. And that means your starting point threshold of pain and target. And let me just explain that very quickly. When you step into any kind of negotiation, in this case, we're obviously talking salary negotiation, you should obviously know where you're coming from. And you know that that's your current salary. Then you should also know your threshold of pain. And what I mean by that is really your walk away scenario. So that means if you don't achieve your minimum, you should be ready to actually take some action on that. So what are you going to do if you're not achieving your minimum goal? Um, and in that aspect, I would recommend you have what I call the next best alternative. And that means, are you going to resign then? Are you going to do something else? What is your alternative uh, approach if you're not achieving your threshold of pain. And then obviously you target. Um, so let's just say that you currently are sitting with $10,000 a month. That would be your starting point. Your target could be $15,000 a month and your threshold of pain could be $13,000 a month. There you go. That is your starting point, threshold of pain and target. I always recommend, Tim, in any kind of negotiation, regardless what you are negotiating, to have these three items ready. And Tim, I'm surprised quite often that negotiators sometimes step into a negotiation and have no idea what, what they want to achieve and what the threshold of pain might be. But I would say, especially talking about a salary negotiation, you should be very, very focused and well prepared on, on this one. Yeah, and of course, many times these conversations are very driven because you maybe have an alternative, uh, and that obviously considerably alters your position of strength and uh, considerably alters the other party's opportunity to step back and say, hmm, do I actually really want you to be here anyway? Mm. So uh, it, it's um, certainly in those circumstances, uh, the, the ability to really think through your threshold and your target is, is made much more tangible. Another thing that is obviously so important to think about is timing and location. Um, there is 
absolute need to think about when is it appropriate to do this? Is this something I just slip in as a, oh, by the way, be nice about to have a salary increase? As, or is it something you're going to keep for your annual review or periodic review? Is it something that you're sitting with your boss at a football game and again, just suddenly raise the subject. Um, so really thinking through what is appropriate timing, what is an appropriate location? And the answer to that is to some extent going to depend, I believe, on the nature of your relationship and having empathy with your counterparty. What is it? What is their style? How formal, how casual? Uh, so really making sure that you've given active thought to a strategic view of timing and location. Absolutely. And uh, I agree with everything you just said, Tim. I just want to add one more thing, and that is um, the, the timing is kind of essential because if you feel that your counterpart, the executive, just had um, an unpleasant experience or under stress or the stress could be coming from his or her bosses or at home or assignment or something, um, the time may not necessarily be, be right. Um, so you might want to postpone a salary negotiation if you feel that your counterpart is stressed or is not really focused or seems to be unhappy or unbalanced or, or whatever. Uh, so the mm -hmm. timing and the location is really important. That connects actually to the next one we want to talk about. That, that is the relationship. And sometimes I meet people in the world of negotiation who thinks that uh, negotiation is all uh, businesses doing uh, negotiation with businesses. So it's an employer negotiating with an employee. That has never been the case and will never be the case. All business is human. So that means it is two human beings who are sitting there negotiating a salary increase. And we have to understand that the relationship means a lot. Um, tremendous amount of studies have shown, among others, from the very famous Professor Kahneman here in the U.S., who won the Nobel Prize in Economics, being um, a professor in psychology, by the way, um, that we would rather do business with somebody we like and trust that has a worth product, worth worst product that we would like to do business with somebody we don't like and don't trust that has the most competitive product. And that works as, as well when we're talking a salary increase. So that means if you have a good relationship with your counterpart, if you actually know your counterpart, if you trust your counterpart, and it works the other way uh, around as well, obviously your potential um, ambition and your potential um, option for reaching success is way, way higher than if there's no relationship whatsoever. So I'm not saying you should pretend to like the counterpart. I'm not I'm not coming up with the idea that we should all be professional actors. That That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we have to nurture the relationship before we step into any kind of salary negotiation. So if you meet up with a counterpart that you haven't met before, you don't know, uh, well, you are in a more difficult uh, case than it, that compared to a case where you actually have built up some kind of relationship. So the relationship and the trust level is uh, is really essential. Yeah, when we talk about negotiation, we often make the point that negotiations should not be focused purely on price, they should be focused on value. So as we think about ourselves, the same applies. Yes, we're putting a price on our head um, in a positive way, I hope. But, you know, what is the value? to you? What are the components that you might want to take into account? Uh, pure salary is not usually the only component of what we're achieving. 
And in this day and age, particularly, you may feel particular benefit from having greater rights, for example, to work from home or to have flexible working hours or to have some support with childcare costs. Um, even in some geographies these days, you can get special allowances to, uh, to have a bicycle. Um, you know, what is the package that matters to you? Think laterally, think creatively. Make sure you understand what the company policy is around the whole package of possible benefits. And even if it's not one that's there today, if it seems reasonable, consider asking for something. I think the world of employment package you can establish is in many cases becoming far more flexible. So think value, not salary. Um, it's interesting, Tim. I was just reading a study the other day that claimed that the salary itself, the monetary value, was only number seven on the list of most important items when you were negotiating a raise or a salary, there was actually six items that was more important for most employees than the salary itself. And that was, as you mentioned, for instance, here in the US, it could be healthcare, it could be the opportunity working from home, it could be your vacation packages, other stuff that came in front of the salary itself. Um, so I think that's important because back to what I said earlier, quite often when you read about, you know, how can you improve your negotiation with your management about your salary, it's all focused about the monetary value. And one more thing I want to add is that the more variables you throw in there, talking about other items like Tim just mentioned, like, you know, vacation, working from home, what have you, the easier the negotiation will actually become because you're not only focused on that one thing, the salary. And you have to remember one thing, if you're just focusing on negotiating salary, that is what we call a zero-sum negotiation. Because if I'm negotiating here with Tim and Tim is asking for an increase of $3,000, if I'm paying him $3,000, I'm losing $3,000 and he's winning $3,000. So that's the zero-sum game. He's winning at my expense or if I'm denying that, I'm winning at his expense, which is obviously not a really suitable situation for either of us. But, but by adding variables and actually looking at stuff that could create an additional value for one side with no extreme expense for the other side could actually make sense and even make negotiation easier. So yeah, there's some great stuff there, Tim. Now, um, obviously we have to be a little bit boring at one point and by boring, I mean, we have to research the salary data and market trends. So if you are in a job that has an average salary of, let's say, $10,000 a month, and you go in there and asking for 30, you might be out of range and you might be being, um, being perceived as kind of unrealistic. So we have to benchmark industry standards, obviously. And that leads me to uh, another important comment, and that is who should be the one that opens up with a proposal? And that is something that us people that are thinking and breathing negotiation are discussing constantly have been doing for years and years and years. Who should who should be the one that is opening up? Is there a downside by opening up or is there an upside by opening up? And the only thing I can say really is that imagine that Tim and I, we are negotiating here and I'm asking Tim, Tim, what is your expectation for your salary increase? And Tim says, well, I would be happy if I could get $5,000 more per month. And then I say, well, that sounds absolutely fine, Tim. Uh, you'll get the new salary by June 1st. Um, you could probably imagine that Tim would leave this negotiation feeling a little bit unhappy because he was thinking, I got 5000 that easy. How much could I actually have gained if I had been asking for more? Um, so we have to be careful, um, obviously, if we are asking for something, getting it too easy. So 
In general, I would recommend that you as an employee might be asking the employer, what is your range? What is your what is your thoughts? What is it that, that you could actually offer me? And you might be surprised. Sometimes they might be offering more than you actually thought was possible. Um, so think about the opening strategy, who should be the one. But as a minimum, that was where I was coming from. Be absolutely certain you know the salary data in your market. So obviously you can't be unrealistic on, on your on your expectations. Creating that sense of your commitment and your wish to grow and help your business, your employer to grow, uh, the value you're going to have for that executive, that manager who's got decision-making rights, you know, what are you doing for them? Um, are you helping them to look good or is this all about you? So I think this this the sense of visible commitment is is such an important component and the it it isn't only about what you've done for somebody in the past it's uh, as we all know um, very often achievements from the past have a life of a nanosecond um we we do need to very much position how this is going to equip us, support us in doing that greater value or delivering that greater value over time. So make this uh, a, a value decision for your decision maker, um, not highlighting solely what you did in the past. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a very, very valid point there. Now, uh, the next one we got on the list, and this is number eight, is anticipating objections. And um, obviously, you just can't expect that the counterpart will accept everything you're saying and, and just bring out the comment like, that's a great idea. Of course, we're going to do that. Um, so, of course, you have to prepare from any kind of objection from the counterpart. So prepare responses to potential pushback or concerns. So what are we, I would recommend you do is actually sit down and list all the variables that we talked about previously. That could be the salary itself, it could be vacation, it could be healthcare, it could be um, working from home, it could be whatever, the, the, the list goes on and on and on. And then on each of those, I would recommend that you prepare a question. So what question do you want to bring up to your counterpart? Uh, would it be possible? What will be the cost for you? Um, do you see any downside if we could do, you know, open questions in general to the counterpart? And in addition to your questions, you have to prepare an answer as well. So what happens if the counterpart says, well, um, you're asking for five weeks of uh, vacation. We could do that, but that would require that you do some additional training, blah, 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 whatever. So you have to be prepared for what am I going to do if there's any pushback? Now, one thing I always recommend is the wonderful, wonderful tool of using breaks. And breaks is not a question about taking the day off and just postponing the negotiation until the next day or the next week. Uh, a break could be five minutes. It could be three minutes where you just step outside for a quick second, just think about what should I do right now. So when you're sitting in perhaps a stressful, heated negotiation about uh, a, a potential job or a raise, um, you could just be asking for a second, could I use the, uh, the toilet? Could I use the restroom? Um, and just walk out there uh, looking in the mirror and thinking, okay, so the counterpart says this, how should I how should I respond to that? So it's really important for you to have an alternative route. You have to prepare 
um, a comment or feedback to any proposal from the counterpart. And certainly, certainly remember to use a break because not only is the break useful for you to prepare your next step, it can also take the stress out of the very stressful situation that you might be in. So please think about using breaks as well. One of the difficult points in all of this is how do you really understand and maximize your leverage in this negotiation? Uh, for many, it may be a indicative of a problem that you're going to that you're having to have the negotiation at all. If you're a highly valued employee, these offers might be coming at you without the need to go and ask. But if you are having to ask, what's the background to that? Is it because your work isn't fully appreciated or is it perhaps because of the economic conditions facing your business? In which case, again, where is your leverage? So think not only about what is the next best alternative that we talked about previously, and if you do have an opportunity to move to a competitor for 10000 pounds or dollars or whatever euros more then obviously you've got a you've got a baseline but are there other alternatives that you haven't perhaps fully considered for example other moves within the existing business are there other departments that would really value your services so what is the framework within which you're, you're speaking here and can you increase your leverage by thinking of ways that you could perhaps be delivering incremental value? Are there tasks you could take on perhaps at a higher level of greater value to your manager or to your business than some of the things you're currently doing? Do you have creative solutions to reduce workload across the department as a whole so that perhaps there are going to be opportunities for cost-cutting as a consequence of the ideas or the role you're able to propose going forward. So you really do need to think broadly. Just saying, I want more for what I'm already doing is never that compelling an argument, to be very honest. And so you need to think, what's extra? How do I build leverage? That's a great advice, Tim, and very well connected to the last one that number 10 we got. We got focus on necroeconomics. Let me just explain the word necroeconomics. It basically just means negotiation economics. And that is the asymmetric value between your cost and my value or my cost and your value. I basically touched upon it a little bit earlier because what we should look at is actually um, try and gain that asymmetric value because it makes negotiation easier. If something has a higher value, higher value to me than cost to you, we are basically creating necroeconomics. As I mentioned earlier, if we're just talking the monetary value, let's say $10,000, if I'm getting an increase of $10,000 annually, it will cost you as my employer $10,000. If I don't get it, you will win and I will lose. So obviously, that is not really the way of creating negroeconomics or asymmetric value. So look for something, a variable that could have a higher cost for you. Let's say another week uh, vacation might have a high value to you the cost to your employer may be way lower than your value. Um, let me give you another example. If you walk into a store and want to buy a new suit, let's say the cost of that suit could be $1,000. Now, instead of asking for a 20% discount on that suit, 
that would cost the store owner obviously $200 and would give you a benefit of $200. Instead of doing that, you could be asking for a shirt to, to, to come along with that suit for free. Now, let's say that the retail price on that shirt is $200, but the cost to the store is obviously not $200. They might have paid $50 for that shirt, uh, but it still has a value to you for $200 because you're getting a shirt that has a retail price of $200, but the cost, the purchasing cost for the store is $50. So here we are creating asymmetric value because you're getting something that has a value to you for $200, but only cost the counterpart $50. So it's way better negotiating that way than just asking for discount because, and I'm just summarizing, a discount would basically just be a win-lose situation. Same thing goes in a salary negotiation. If you only are focused on increasing the salary, the monetary value, you're going to win at the expense of the counterpart. If you could add variables that will has a, that has a higher value to you and a lower cost to the counterpart, it might be easier to achieve what you actually want to accomplish. So Think about how you can utilize that asymmetric values in negotiation on top of negotiating the salary itself. Now, that was the 10 items we got for today, Tim. And I invite you to do a very quick summary. We had number one, create an agenda. List variables, your expectation, time required, and mandate. Number two, prepare your starting point, threshold of pain and target. Number three, have a, a, a focus on your timing and, and location. So be very sure and be certain that you're negotiating at the right time and the right location. Number four, building relationship. Have some kind of relationship with your counterpart. And number five, negotiating beyond salary, other variables. And number six, benchmarking industry standard, knowing what the salary data and market trends might be. Number seven, position yourself for growth, focused on how you can continue to, to develop yourself. Number eight, anticipate object, uh, uh, objections from the counterpart. How can you meet those um, feedbacks, the, those responses you get from the counterpart? Number nine, maximize your leverage. And 10, focus on necroeconomics. Gerald, well, we hope very much that this set of advice has been helpful. And of course, if you manage to negotiate that raise, then do please bear us in mind for a 10% share. Um, and we will, of course, be back with you very soon uh, with another To The Point. To The Point, the negotiation podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings.